Hi, everyone. I've got the pleasure of being in the company of Liz Fletcher this morning. Liz is an occupational therapist, and I have to say, when I started Golf in Society, I hadn't got a clue as to what occupational therapy was all about, really. But uh, Liz and other occupational therapists that I've met in the last couple of years, really, have enlightened me in terms of the difference that occupational therapy can make to people's lives. Now, Liz works for a great fellow social enterprise called Sport for Confidence, who specialise in delivering occupational therapy in community settings and transforming lives, really. So it's my pleasure to uh, welcome Liz this morning. Hello, hello. And we're actually doing this podcast at Hillsborough Golf Club, which is quite an exciting venue for us because we're launching a new project, which is basically to reimagine golf clubs as healthy ageing hubs where people can come and enjoy professional support, activities, the opportunity to socialise in beautiful green spaces, natural surroundings and inspiring clubhouses really where they get a chance to relax and enjoy the life that they're looking looking to have uh, with the challenges they face and hopefully to get their lives back on track after a diagnosis or stay in hospital. So it's quite interesting that we're here in, at Hillsborough this morning, which is going to be one of our venues for this exciting new project. Sport for Confidence, they are one of our delivery partners and they will very much look after the occupational therapy and physiotherapy part of the project. And we've also got the Advanced Wellbeing Research Centre and the Sport Industry Research Centre from Sheffield Hallam University, who are our yeah, research partners on this project. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Liz and Liz is going to do a little bit of myth busting for us. So Liz, as I say, when I first started, I hadn't got a clue what occupational therapy was all about. So for our listeners, can you just like put it in layman's terms, what occupational therapy is all about? Wow, this is a real challenge. Thank you for starting with this one, Anthony. Um, Occupational therapists come out of university really not knowing how best to describe their role because partly because it's on the one, on the one hand, it's quite broad. And, um, and so we're not traditional health workers in the sense that we focus on a diagnosis as such. And so we're not led by somebody's diagnosis. Obviously, that's important. um, But what drives us as occupational therapists is thinking about what people want to do and how they want to best lead their lives. And, um, and, you know, we, we, we want to think about how what somebody wants to do and how they can best get there. And we think about, we might think about adaptations um, of the environment or adaptations of the activity itself. And so in this situation, being at a golf club, um, we might work really closely with the golf coach and thinking about how best we can adapt golf to make it um, enjoyable, meaningful, practical, possible um, for the person. Um like so many other healthcare professionals, um, occupational therapists work in a person-centred way. Um, but I know I'm slightly biased, but I have to say that occupational therapists are absolutely brilliant at being able to always put the person first because what is important to that person is our absolute focus. And, um, and so when we start our kind of initial assessment, one of our priorities really is is really exploring what 
what is important to that person. They might have just got a diagnosis of dementia or of um, a, a mental health condition or something like that. And actually, you know, what? how is that diagnosis affecting somebody? How does it affect their view of themselves? How does it affect their ideas of the future? You know, a diagnosis of of a health condition can impact us all very, very differently. Um, our our kind of hopes and dreams of be becoming a golf champion or becoming um, a, a mum or a carer or whatever we um, wanted from our future might have completely shifted with a health condition or a diagnosis. And so we as occupational therapists want to think about with somebody what their future holds, what what their hopes and dreams are and and how we can work with that person to make that a reality as best as possible. So I don't think that's in a nutshell. Well, but I I, think- no, but I think it's, it gives a, it gives a, a real flavour to the audience as to what it is all about. When I first discovered occupational therapy, it was quite interesting because, as you say, you take per take a person from their starting point after a diagnosis or a challenge in their life. But most importantly, you sit down with them and you spend quality time understanding what their futures look like, yeah. what they want to achieve in their lives, mm-hmm. their hopes, their aspirations. Yeah. And what I loved about it is that from what I witnessed, you then took all of that great quality information you got from the people yeah. that you're supporting and then you you go away and you design packages of support yeah. tailored around their needs. Yeah. But not only just design them, but then think about the delivery of them. Yeah. So you've actually got the people involved in creating their own support program yeah. that gives them the stepping stones yeah. to get closer to those dreams and hopes and aspirations they have for the future. I'm so glad that you observed that as part and part of the of the OT process. But that you know that is exactly how we want to work. We may not always be able to work like that in traditional health services, um, but in a golf centre or golf club, it does give us the freedom to work in that way. And uh, and it's so important, you know, we we as OTs think about the person first, but also thinking about that kind of. You might have heard the word co-production, um, but how we work with people as partners. You know, we think about the importance of the power dynamics, and uh, and actually, it's a it's it can be in, in a traditional way. It can be quite a strange thing going to see a healthcare professional and thinking of the healthcare professional as uh, as the person with the power and uh, making the decisions. They know what's best for you, and uh, and really. I personally see that as a bit of an old-fashioned way of working, and um, but it's hard to move away from old-fashioned way of working, even if we know that's not right. But actually, how do we work with a person and ensure that they are in the power seat or you know driving um, what they see as important in terms of um, change for themselves and change for other others and actually when you're working you know if you're working with individuals that you know they come with a, a family and carers and friends and um, and so that's actually um, it, it it's actually quite complicated to to do well and to do right and I'm not saying that we're 
as OTs are perfect and get that right the whole time, but that's something we strive to do and um, is, is yeah, is getting them to think what they want from um, an intervention and uh, and how they see it working. And so working with people as partners, I would say, is a key a key skill for occupational therapists. Totally agree. And that's a fantastic start to the conversation. So this morning, as I say, we're, we have the pleasure of being in the company of Liz Fletcher at Hillsborough Golf Club which is going to be one of our venues for this exciting research project that we're just about to launch in Sheffield. We've been talking a little bit about what occupational therapy is and the difference that it makes to people's lives. And in my own terms, from what I've witnessed and and how I see it, uh, I've given you a, a, my, my, my view of, of, of what occupational therapy is all about. But I think for people that don't know about occupational therapy that are living in local communities facing a few challenges. The best way I can describe it really is the occupational therapists that I've worked with so far are the people that put their their arm around you, they hold your hand, they take the time to listen. And all of those things in a busy life, living with a diagnosis, looking after loved ones and everything else that everyday life throws at us, they're the people that just give you the breathing space to actually sit down and say what it is you want in life and then put a program of support in place to make sure that that happens. And what I like about it is that they don't try and do everything themselves. They basically then bring in their amazing network of fellow health professionals, advisors, support networks to build that package of support around the families so that it does become real good quality support that they give to the families. And the one thing I love about occupational therapy is they want to be with the family, the individual, for the duration of them improving their lives. They're not just quick in, quick out. They want to build up that long-lasting relationship that goes deep and is meaningful, that gives the family and the individual every single opportunity to achieve their dreams. So with that in mind, that's what excites me so much about having occupational therapy designed into this new research program. And I've talked a little bit about how I see occupational therapy and why I'm so excited about having Sport for Confidence and Liz and the team on board. But from your perspective, Liz, what's the thing that excites you most about this pioneering research project? Um, I love the way you describe occupational therapy and your experiences, (laughs) first of all. Um, And I think that what you've said is absolutely true. And um, however, um, in short-term or highly pressured um, health services, often we we can't do what you've just said. And, uh, And actually, this provides us, working in a community space in this way, this provides us with an opportunity to absolutely put in place um, what you just said, making sure that we can build up them meaningful um, relationships with people. Um, I, I, it's going to sound like a downside. I'm going to, it sounds like I'm going to be self-critical here, but, um, but I'm not, hopefully. Um, it, OTs can feel like they are jack of all trades, master of none. Um, 
over the years that I've become, I've been an occupational therapist, I've learned to see that as a as a strength, and uh, and you know we we are good at giving that holistic wraparound support. We are good at building that relationship with people, making sure that they are um, the center of everything that we do, um, and and learning to kind of go at the right pace um, for people. But also, when you start, um, we also have a, uh, one of our core skills is activity analysis. And so all that observation time that we have, we're checking out people. What can they do? What are their strengths? Um, how are their cognitive abilities Im- impacted by um, diagnosis they may have had? Um, what, what are their motor skills like? What, how can they function? How is that impacting on their, on their goals? And so there's, there's a lot of analysis that goes on behind the scenes, but I always see it like, um, you know, that iceberg analogy mm. and, um, and just what you should see, um, walking into a golf club or any, any kind of occupational therapy service is what you've described. Mm-hmm. You should see the, the OT forming really, really good relationships. Um, what you don't always see is that, um, that thinking and that analysis that the OTs are, they may have assessment tools that they use. And, uh, but again, these are not, uh, traditional, these aren't assessments to, um, work out more about a person's diagnosis. They're assessments to work out how somebody is functioning, you know, and so going through that, you know, what are their cognitive skills like and how is that impacting on their ability to play golf? Is there anything that we can do, um, to, in order to, to make their experience of golf better. However, we might also notice that there are various things that we as OTs cannot do, and that's okay because we have got a whole variety of different services around us, or the family might have a whole variety of different skills around that person that we can utilise. So I think that kind of of jack-of-all-trades comes into our strength because we are actually, and we should be really good at recognizing what we can't do too. And, um, but maybe other people can, or we can signpost or we can, um, you know, ensure people get the right amount of support. That's not to say there's always the right amount of support available. Um, but we can at least do our best. I think that's really crucial. And from our first, uh, working together, uh, down in Charmwood Forest, the two students we had there who were amazing, they basically started putting together a resource pack based on the needs of the carers in particular. And I think that's an important thing to mention about this project is we're not just looking at the people with a diagnosis and improving their health, well-being and giving them opportunities to achieve their hopes and dreams of the future, but we're doing exactly the same with the carers. And the one thing I found really useful is how that resource pack whilst it wasn't all needed all at once Mm. because you know it's a big document it's like 60 odd pages but ultimately as and when a challenge comes up Mm. in a carer's life in particular there's a reference point there Mm. where they can get some top tips about how to deal with something in their moment of crisis which let's face it they have to deal with they're the first responders Mm -hmm. so having that resource easily accessible and available Mm -hmm. and already talked through gives them 
greater confidence to deal with that situation rather than feeling isolated. Yeah. And with all due respect to everybody out there trying to do some great work with helplines and everything else, mm. sometimes they need more than just that helpline. They need that resource in their hand at that moment in time yeah. just to deal with the emergency as it's unfolding uh, yeah. in front of them, really. And I think that's been a real good uh, resource that we've already pulled together and will develop even further yeah. during this program. And the way that you've thought about the carers and the person living with the diagnosis and you're building support around both individuals simultaneously, mm. I think is what excites me most about this project. And I'll be honest with you, we could not do this as golf in society alone. So the opportunity to work with like-minded organisations mm. who've shared ambitions and all we're doing really is facilitating all of these health and wellbeing improvements mm -hmm. and access to the professional support these people need at local golf clubs who've got the beautiful green space, who've got the built infrastructure. They've got everything in place and all we need to do is get the people here to access the professional health support and their lives can be better. Mm -hmm. And we're showing a different way. Yeah, We're showing it, it doesn't have to happen in a hospital environment. We're not putting extra pressure on the already stretched resources within the NHS. We're actually looking to create new spaces, new places, new resource to deliver that will help us all give our ageing population in particular the opportunity to live that happier, healthier, independent life and not need the interventions of that secondary care system. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so those are some of the ambitions uh, we, we've, we've got here with the project. And just to give a little bit more of a flavour, we're going to be um, piloting a 12-week programme. And at the moment, we're just about to put a a package of marketing together, really, because the big thing we've got to do is we've got to – overcome a couple of um, barriers really we've got to overcome the barrier to golf clubs we've got to overcome the barrier to golf and I suppose that's that's my job so we've got to reimagine and, and reword everything so that people understand the benefits of getting involved and then we need to give people the confidence an understanding of what they're getting involved in and I think that's a key message we've got to get across through the referral networks in particular in terms of how people can access the the program and what's in it for them. So Liz, in terms of those key messages to mm. families out there at the minute, uh, if you were sat there at home with your loved one and this opportunity to get involved in this project came your way, what would make you say, yes, I'd like to do that? Well, first of all, I've got a few comments based yeah, yeah. on the various things that you've said and the first one is just that focus on um, carers uh, I think that it's so important and I'm so pleased that we are ensuring that carers are seen as as important as the as the participants in this and I think you know if we've got a short amount of time um, to impact positively on somebody's life um, then you know that that acknowledgement and awareness that the carer is the key the key person involved in that the person's life that may have had a, a diagnosis of um dementia and uh, and you know we know how hard that they work and um, and how important their role is and so it's brilliant that that the OT and the physio will be able to use their skills with the carer too um 
That's the first thing I wanted to say. Um, second is you said something around barriers to accessing a, a golf club. Um, that's, I mean, sim, you know, at Sport for Confidence, um, we, we have a similar situation, but it's a barriers to accessing, accessing a leisure centre. And there's, I'm sure there's lo- loads of similarities there. And, um, the fact is, um, we hope to be reaching out to people that, um, have never dr- dreamt of setting foot in a, in a golf club. Absolutely. You know? And uh, a lot, maybe that's slightly different to a leisure centre because actually, you know, I think some people don't dream of going to a leisure centre, but they know that it's a community, a community asset. They know it's part of their community and or, almost they should, should be going or they should have an opportunity to go. So I think there's almost like a slight difference there, a leisure centre and a, a golf club, but you know, we work with people in sport for confidence that don't go, wouldn't necessarily go to a leisure centre, wouldn't think of themselves as sporty. I'm just thinking of a lady, um, that I've spoken to recently. She, she won't mind me saying her, her name. She's a, we just wrote a, a case study about her experience, Jennifer. She said to me, um, before I started sport for confidence, I spent 14 years in my bed. And that's, that, that's more or less true. Wow. And, um, and she never thought of herself as sporty. Her initial steps to join in Sport for Confidence were all about taking photographs. They were nothing to do with coming to the leisure centre. And so that's about that OT working with that individual to explore what's meaningful, important to them, build up that relationship and break and and then gradually kind of break down them barriers around, you know, maybe you could come to the leisure centre, Jennifer, you know, and then start to talk to her about how, why, you know, et cetera. And, uh, and I think that is, we can't underestimate the barriers to people accessing a sporting environment, such as a golf club. And, um, you know, we, we will have to work with individuals, um, to ensure that we understand their individual barriers um, because, yes, there's numerous barriers that I'm sure research can point to that say we've all, you know, so many people have X amount of barriers to accessing uh, various sporting opportunities. But what we do know is that we have individual barriers and they're quite complex often. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you just think about one person and the fact that they've never thought about playing sport you know, going to a golf club. Oh, you know, it's so far away from their world that actually that's where you've got to work with them. You've got to meet them and connect with them where they're at and, uh, and make sure that that initial visit as, is as, is as smooth as possible for people. Totally agree. That first welcome is so, uh, so yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got some work to do, but it's an exciting project. Yes. yes. And I'm looking forward to. Breaking down some of those barriers and then uh, proving to people that golf clubs aren't uh, rich, exclusive, elitist places. They're places for all the community to enjoy. And together, I think we can uh, can definitely break down those barriers. We can. Thank you. So we're here at Hillsborough Golf Club this morning in conversation with Liz Fletcher from Sport for Confidence. And I want to finish off this little conversation around the future of the workforce and in particular occupational therapy and the place that it has in the future of giving people that happier, healthier life that they deserve. Now, I know at the moment that we have a lot of pressures, Liz, within the the NHS in terms of resource, um, 
around workforce mm -hmm. and the amount of people requiring support. Yeah. So firstly, I would imagine that's quite a stressful place to work in if you're an occupational therapist in an NHS setting. Well, that's uh, one of the reasons, Anthony, that I don't work in the NHS anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is hugely pressured for um, not just occupational therapists, but healthcare professionals in general. And, um, and you know, we know, uh, we know, I'm sure that the majority of healthcare professionals are just desperate to do a good job. And, uh, and I think times are really tricky and, um, and yes, I, it's very pressured and very difficult. So do you think that roles like this within this type of setting, within this type of programming that allows people to take their passion for improving other people's lives, take their professional skill and learning and put it into practice in in let's say emerging spaces and places like this do you think that that is a a future to get more people interested in becoming an occupational therapist yep. in particular and yep. where they actually have the opportunity to put everything into practice i think um the word prevention and preventative healthcare is not a new concept. It's been talked about for years. Um, the idea of actually providing preventative healthcare um, is hard to happen, make happen. It's a hard reality to um, put into practice. And um, I see this as a golden opportunity um, to really put prevention at the heart um, of a service. I can't describe to you um, the feedback that we get from the occupational therapists at Sport for Confidence who are working in leisure centres, working in a non-traditional um, health environment, how we are able to apply our skills in the way that we're taught at university, um, how we are able to build those relationships and, um, and provide support in a different way in a different environment i i can't tell you how much my heart and my head um believe in providing healthcare in this way um let's just take the good bits um from the from the old style of healthcare yeah, yeah. and um and create um better bits too well what a great way to end thank you very much for your time no problem no problem